0: Greetings on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. You can go to traincpe.org, or you can follow all the links at our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and it's from that fellowship that we share God's word with you today. We're concluding a message from Micah 5:2. A prophecy has been made during Bethlehem's golden days of a king who's going to rise up out of her in a day of insignificance. When Bethlehem was at the bottom, it didn't make sense when the prophecy came, but 700 years later, Bethlehem was a forgotten city, and its legacy as the city of kings only mocked its reality as a city of common laborers like carpenters. Galatians 4.4 4 tells us that God sent His Son to be born in the fullness of time, or at just the right time. We now consider what made the time of Christ's birth in weary little Bethlehem just the right time. And then there are others who would say that the fullness of time really is this. I think this is closer to the truth. That there was now over 1,300 years in which the people of Israel had lived under the law that Moses had given And that this law was slowly working their lives, gaining an influence over the way they lived. Actually, there was no other time in the history of Judaism in which Judaism was more carefully and completely expressed and followed than in this time right here. The Pharisees were so overseeing the various laws that Moses gave that now the ceremonial law and the sacrificial laws were in place and being followed more carefully and astutely than any other time in the history of Israel. And they were also watching over the various moral laws that had been given to make sure that all those moral laws were very faithfully and exactingly being followed so that they would wash their hands and do all the things to make sure that they maintained a certain kind of cleanliness about themselves and that they followed all the moral laws. And the Pharisees were the ones who were governing this and they had the hearts of the people governing all these things. And so, in a sense, if the law was meant to prepare them for Christ, if the ceremonial law finds all of its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and the moral law somehow brings people to a point where they realize that they need someone to rescue them from the consequences of not following that moral law, then this was the perfect time for the Messiah to come. Because it it had done its work. Actually, along these lines, the people of Israel had given themselves to follow these moral laws that were manifest and expressed by the careful study and the application of the moral laws of God by the, Pharisaical and the Pharisees and the scribes and the crowd actually was lifting them up and elevating them to teach them and instruct them in these moral laws and they were trying to follow them and I'm sure as a result it had some restraint on the way they lived their lives they were living their lives fairly circumspectly they had rules that they had to follow and they were following them but the, the net effect of all of that was that they, they, they didn't feel more righteous they felt less righteous so when John the Baptist came along and he, he addressed the nation of Israel and said, listen, your Messiah is about to come and you need to get ready and prepare yourself and what really needs to happen is you need to repent because you're filled with sin and you need to be washed and cleansed and baptism, seeking the cleansing, the moral cleansing that only God can bring you. We're told that all of Jerusalem went out to him. Everybody went down to get baptized because the law's impact in their life was it just made them realize even as they got better and better at following it, how far away they were from God's requirements of righteousness. It just made them feel more and more guilty and more and more in need of rescue. And So in this sense, Jesus came in the fullness of time at just the right time in order to meet with people who had, in a sense, strung out all the implications of the law, ceremonial and the law moral, and discovered that they needed an answer for all these things in order that they might meet with God and be assured of being before God's presence and be accepted. God uses all those things to wear us down. You live your life trying to be a good person. Follow certain laws. Follow certain rules. There are certain people that get together and they just talk about all the things you've got to do to be get to heaven and <laughs> find out what their law's And You know what? You're always going to end up, if you're honest with yourself, you're going, always going to end up on the short side of that law. It's not going to get you to God. It's going to get you under judgment from God. No matter what you say, you'll fall short. That's what was happening for these people. But I think the fullness of time is best expressed by the lowliness that was in Bethlehem at this time. It reveals why this was just the right time for the Messiah to come forth into our world. The impulse in human beings is to constantly renew themselves over and over again to their own projects of self-salvation and self-deliverance to trust that they'll just find the right trick to turn or they'll just have the right relationship with somebody else who knows all the truth or someone will just deliver to them the right formula that they can follow and this somehow will deliver them. And, and man tirelessly goes into those things over and over again and they'll pass it on, that chase, that pursuit to be righteous, cross their fingers and do the best you can. They'll pass it on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. We're tireless in this way. And God will let people play themselves out in their efforts to get to the top. God will let them do it over and over again. And yet history will prove that every effort to somehow rise to some place of self-transcendent where by your works or your labor or following laws or rules or by just thinking the right thoughts or having the right belief system that you'll be able to merit yourself before God. God, if you study the history of man, what you'll see is God lets it play out and it plays out downwardly to a place of ruin and hopelessness. Ultimately, as they charge a hard with all their self-confidence they fail again and again and again and yet they renew themselves again and again and again to get it right in God's time to bring forth the Son a Savior arrives when they're played out and they run out of strength and they run out of options and they can't ignore their history it's when they let go of their bootstraps and stop trying to pull themselves up out of the mire that they're in and their only hope comes from finding some washing waters that God would provide for them to be made clean and right before him. Their only hope is to find somewhere, some place where they can immerse themselves and find cleanseness, cleaning and washing and we immerse ourselves by faith in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection for us. Recognizing on the cross he died for our sins and he rose to give us something that we could never gain for ourselves. That he comes to offer us all of his righteousness and in the place of all of our best-busted self-efforts. And faith is the moment in which we immerse ourselves into Him. And that's the reality. That's the reality of saving faith. But it's that you won't plunge in. You won't plunge in until you totally lose hope and trust in yourself and all the different formulas that men have given you. And you see your only answer is in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the only answer. And Bethlehem is a picture of this. It's the picture of man being drained of all of his hopes and all of his confidence and all of his boast. Well, we are of the lineage of the house of David. And huh? ha, what, what does that add up to? The fullness of time at just the right time is this low point, And it's at that low point where the Savior comes to be born. Here is the point where the reversal comes. The reversal of God's own working comes at our low point. Here's where the greatness of the sun is brought forth in our lives. Some concluding thoughts here. I hope these are encouraging to you. There's a reward for us in our valleys that cannot come to us on our mountaintops. There's compensation for sorrow and suffering and disappointment and loss and even failure when it turns us to God's salvation. God comes down to fill up and meet and care for those who have been broken and bruised and battered. God delights to hallow the common. God delights to awaken the tired and the weary and to set his power upon those who recognize their absolute powerlessness. That's what he does. That's what he's introducing to us here in Bethlehem. The other day, my Daughter called me to ask me if I journaled. I don't. I've never made a habit of journaling. Every once in a while, I've written thoughts down. I can find them. They're scattered now over about 30 years on different scraps of paper that I didn't want to throw away. I had some thought that I thought was pretty good. I'll, I'll tuck it away somewhere. And I stumble upon them periodically. And, but here's one of the things I stumbled upon in a tablet just a little while ago a quote that I had written down. And this is the quote. I must have written this 20 years ago. Probably. 30 years ago. Give me a picture of a crooked shack alongside a crooked creek any day to some painting of Atlantis or El Dorado or of a marble palace. It is humble settings that I find most beautiful and even most hopeful. I don't know if this sensibility is true in other parts of the world, but I think it's true in the Christian world. See, the Christian sees... God's hand at weaning us from the milk of this world and its pleasures and taking us away from all of our trust and confidence in ourselves so that God would prepare us in a moment to receive the bread, the fruitful bread of his own life that he offered up for us in Bethlehem and it's at the point of weariness and brokenness and when we come to an end of ourselves and we totally give in and relent that we can't do anything for ourselves, that at that moment of time that the food is offered up to us of Christ himself as the bread of life and the water of his life is given to us so that we may drink of him. Paul knows this secret as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses nine and 10, this is what Paul says. Paul learns this lesson not only in his salvation, but Paul learns this lesson again and again as God wants to lead him into the power of that salvation. Paul is struggling with a sickness and it's not going away and God's not answering his prayer to give him strength to his body and then Paul finally says God answered him and says God said to me, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, most gladly would I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses, For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, they're hopeful words. God has changed the way we look at things. We look at things that are forlorn and lost and broken, and we say, ah, there's a place where God's about ready to work. Oh, here's a moment in time in which God is about ready to reveal His salvation. Oh, here's where God raises Himself up, where man loses confidence in himself. You look at the history right now. I don't know what you've lost confidence in, but it's probably a good thing. It's probably a good thing. In order that we might fall upon Him, say, God, you have to fill up this empty, broken part of my life or world, you have to be everything. And God loves to reach to the low point of our lives and there offer his greatest prizes. It's at that point where we know our weaknesses and we lose our boast in our own way and our own strength and our own remedies that we're ready with meekness to receive the reversal of God's grace. The reversal of his gracious life. The reversal of a divine savior who would come and live in us and shepherd us, and live through us to the glory and the good pleasure of God. And that's salvation, that's salvation. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, how do we miss this? This is the point we came to when we found you as our savior. No remedy in the world, no offering, no switch to flip. Just sin in our lives just brokenness and failure again and again. And even those who sought to taught us, if we look close their lives were illustrating the same thing. Broken, ineffectual. The only one who prevails on our behalf is our Savior Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.